0: Hello, um, my name is Dr. Michael Camilleri. I'm a gastroenterologist with an interest in obesity and um, glucose metabolism. I work at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota in the United States. And I'm so pleased to meet with you today to tell you a little bit more about the important public health concern, which is obesity with its complications like type two diabetes, cardiovascular diseases. We all know about that. But there is a new uh, class of compounds that um, has been investigated now, probably for about 20 years, but which is now really having an impact in the clinical practice. And I want to tell you a little bit more about the evidence. For the efficacy of this class of compounds, the class of compounds are called glucagon like peptide one agonists or analogs. Let's think about those two words. The GLP-1 receptor can have a medication that stimulates it. That would be an agonist. An analog would be an artificial compound that's synthesized in the laboratory that has a very similar structure to the natural GLP-1. What does GLP-1 do? And where does it come from? A lot of the GLP-1 cells producing cells in the body are the enteroendocrine cells in the lining of the intestine. And when we eat food, the small intestinal cells produce this hormone which then goes through the peripheral blood and has effects on appetite centers in our hypothalamus, has effects on The function of the vagus nerve in the brainstem and also has effects on the way in which the stomach works. Most importantly as well, it has effects on the beta cells in the pancreas that produce insulin and that is why this class of compounds has the potential to change appetite and induce weight loss to its effects for example on the appetite centers in the hypothalamus but it also is beneficial for controlling hyperglycemia and so this class of compounds is approved primarily for the treatment of type 2 diabetes more recently it has been also appreciated that it has a very significant as a class significant effect on weight loss. So let me tell you a little bit more about the study that we published in eClinical Medicine, which summarized the literature on about eight of these compounds. First of all, as a group, these compounds resulted in weight loss. And yes, there were some differences in efficacy between the different compounds. Incidentally, these compounds are sometimes administered as subcutaneous injections either every day like exenatide, or they could be injected once a week like semaglutide. Now what we found in this study which included 64 clinical trials and a total Of 27,000 patients in those clinical trials. And what we did was we tried to analyze, compared to placebo, which of these medications work and at what dose do they work. And to cut a long story short, virtually all of the medications were better than placebo in inducing weight loss. Our first study, this publication, included both diabetic and non-diabetic people. And we've got further analysis that actually shows in preliminary data that it also works, the same conclusions apply to people with type 2 diabetes. The second important point is that there is a way in which you can say, which of these medications works well or works better than others? And again, to cut a relatively long story short, the two most efficacious medications are liraglutide and even more so semaglutide. Now, s- these two drugs are given as subcutaneous injections. Liraglutide requires an injection every day. Semaglutide requires an injection once a week. So the compliance of the patients with the medication might actually be better with the once a week injection. And patients tell us that they prefer that approach. More importantly, we also show that oral administration of semaglutide is almost as effective as the lower doses of liraglutide. So there is like a league table of in our paper that shows which is the most efficacious medication and the top of the league and I'm very interested in football but I won't tell you which is my favorite football team but the top of the league is when you give semaglutide more than 2.4 milligrams per week just below is semaglutide less than 1.4 And just below that, liraglutide more than 1.8, and then equal number four is tablets of semaglutide and liraglutide subcutaneous at a dose of less than 1.8 milligrams per day. So you can imagine that in the future, if patients do not like to get subcutaneous injections, there will be an oral preparation that could be used To help them control their weight, their type 2 diabetes. You all know that if we can drop the glycosylated hemoglobin, the HbA1c, by 1%, we usually have very significant metabolic benefit for that patient. So that's the benefit side of these medications. Incidentally, there is a statistical methodology which you do not need to worry too much about called network meta-analysis that helps us to develop that league table I talked to you about based on how more effective is the medication compared to placebo. So I have to acknowledge that there are very few studies that have compared head-to-head, one GLP-1 agarist versus another one, but by comparing the relative efficacy compared to placebo, you can get an estimate for which is the top medication, at least in the analysis. And just to give you some numbers, with the highest dose of semaglutide, you can expect after about three or six months treatment that the patients will lose almost 10 kilograms more than they would with placebo in the same study. Whereas let's say with liraglutide at the low dose or with oral semaglutide, you could expect about four to five kilogram weight loss over the same period of time. So this gives us a gradation in the efficacy. Now let's talk a little bit about side effects. We know from these large trials that were done that maybe even up to 20% of the patients have to withdraw from treatment because of side effects. What are the main side effects? Well, the main side effects are nausea and vomiting. Which medications are mostly associated with the side effect? Well, the medications that are most efficacious for inducing weight loss are the most likely to be associated with a risk of having to withdraw or developing nausea or vomiting. And that really brings us to another important point because one of the ways I mentioned before that this class of drugs works is it has an effect on the function of the stomach. So virtually all GLP-1 agonists or analogs, if they are tested with the right methodology, have been shown to delay stomach emptying and that's why we think that they develop nausea or vomiting. Now one way to manage this in clinical practice which you cannot do in a clinical trial is to reduce the dose because reducing the dose could overcome the problem of nausea and vomiting and the patient could still benefit by losing weight. So let's say the patient was on semaglutide 2.4 milligram, the most efficacious treatment, and they develop severe nausea and vomiting. Well, one approach is to give the patient a short drug holiday and then start at a lower dose and see whether the patient tolerates it. We have shown in a paper we published a few years ago that the effect of liraglutide on stomach emptying gets less severe, the delay of stomach emptying gets less severe between five weeks of treatment and 16 weeks of treatment. So the nausea and vomiting in clinical practice could be managed. Another thing that we've learned from these studies, uh, which we've also done here at Mayo Clinic, is that the rate at which you escalate the dose, so for example, again, with liraglutide, You start at a dose of 0.6 milligrams and you increase the dose by 0.6 every week. So you go 0.6, 1.2, 1.8, and the highest dose is 2.4. So if the patient develops adverse effects like nausea and vomiting, in clinical practice, rather than saying, okay, you do not tolerate this, may I suggest that you consider slowing the dose escalation and maybe stabilizing the dose at a lower level than the peak of 2.4. So those are some things that we've learned from these types of medications. And to summarize, I think these types of medications, the GLP-1 agonists and analogs are so much more efficacious than any of the other treatments that we have had, pharmacological or dietary or behavioral, for the treatment of obesity. Let me remind you as well that, especially if the patient has type 2 diabetes, if we drop the glycosylated hemoglobin by 1%, we often have tangible benefits in the hypertension and other cardiovascular risks and also renal function. So I think this is a class of medications that seems to be having a very significant impact in patients with obesity. One final point before I try to answer your questions. Many of us are trying to suggest that in our clinical practice, whether with a general physician, an endocrinologist, an obesity specialist, or a gastroenterologist, we need to look at the patient's BMI. And we are trying to make the BMI an important vital sign because BMI has an important consequence on survival and on morbidity. So, you know, very often we doctors talk about temperature, pulse, respiration, blood pressure, how is your pain today? Those are the five vital signs that we always ask our patients. But let's make sure that we also concentrate on BMI. So when I see a patient in my clinic with gallstones who is obese, rather than just treating the gallstones, I need to also say to the patient, this is an opportunity for us also to help your obesity and the consequences associated with obesity. So that's some, a, another lesson that we've learned since we have started realizing the potential benefits of this class of compounds.
1: So i'll stop there and see if you have any questions thank you very much for the great summary uh, i would like to ask you that the treatment of obesity is a big puzzle with many pieces lifestyle changes dietary changes uh, you have to need help from your friends your family to move out of your uh, usual habits mm, where do you see how uh, the grp1 analogues and, and can be inserted into this complex network of therapy?
0: That's a great question. And of course, this is not to belittle the importance of all of those approaches, the dietary, the calorie restriction involvement of the family to help us maintain the new year's resolution that many of us have. Um, So certainly diet and behavioral therapy is important. And in virtually all of these studies, the pharmacological agent was in addition to dietary and behavioral intervention. But diet and behavioral intervention in general results in probably four kilogram weight loss or even less than that. And so the idea is to try to achieve a higher level of weight loss Um, There are other medications that that are approved in certain countries, Um, not all in all countries, but certainly this class of GLP-1 agonists and analogs seems to be one that has tremendous opportunity to be added on to the first lines of treatment. There is incidentally also some new evidence that if patients have had bariatric surgical procedure, for example, a sleeve gastrectomy, and they have now started regaining weight, it's also possible that these medications may help the patient get back onto the trajectory to lose weight. And there are clinical trials that support that.
1: And what do you think, which patients benefit the most? Which are the eligible patients? You mentioned already BMI, but we know that uh, morbidity, mortality, cardiovascular morbidity and mortality is an important factor. Do you evaluate cardiovascular risk of the patient before you prescribe?
0: Um, In general, at least in most of the trials, uh, there has been um, a measurement of cardiovascular Um, risk factors, hyperlipidemia, hypertension being the two most common. Um, And the, uh, you know, the presence of such cardiovascular comorbidity and certainly a BMI greater than 35 kilograms per meter squared. And in the approval, certainly in the United States, the approval of these medications is usually either 30 kilograms per meter squared or 27, just overweight kilograms per meter squared with comorbidity associated with with diabetes, for example. So the presence of comorbid conditions, whether it's just type 2 diabetes or the presence of cardiovascular uh, complications or morbidity uh, would be additional indications for Um, suggesting to the patient that this would be a medication to be considered. And different countries have different rules about who can be prescribed and what are the comorbidities, but I think those are the general principles that I would articulate.
1: You mentioned that this is a subcutaneous injection, although we are turning towards the, the oral application, but these are injections. How can you convince patients to introduce uh, an injection uh, therapy uh, just to lose weight? Uh, what, what is the way how you educate your patients?
0: Yeah, so that's also a very practical question that we often have to uh, uh, convince the patient. Um, and I, I have to admit that it is easier with medications preparations that require only one subcutaneous injection per week so that's where i think semaglutide subcutaneous injection apart from the efficacy data that i mentioned to you has the advantage of the compliance of the patient to take that subcutaneous injection Um, nowadays you know the size of the needle we we show the patient how small it is we often will uh, we'll, uh, uh, have a nurse show them how to perform this, uh, reassure the patient about uh, that injection, and then depending upon um, uh, you know what is available in the different countries, in the different clinics, um, one may have to choose the daily subcutaneous injection or the weekly. And I have to acknowledge that the weekly subcutaneous injection, uh, whenever I discuss it with patients, seems to win The argument because they'd rather do an injection once rather than every day um, with the other types of medications. And this is where it is possible that oral semaglutide may also have additional benefit for patients who are really reluctant to have the subcutaneous injection.
1: Thank you very much for the conversation. Thank you for your time and sharing your insight in this very important topic. Thank you again. Thank you for including me and have a good day.